0: This is Danielle Krissa from the Jaws Curator, and this is the beginning of a brand new season of Art for Your Ear. And, if you're keeping track like I am, this is episode 211. I am kicking off this new season with a new sponsor. Storyblocks is an online treasure trove of media you can use to tell your own stories. And it's not just images, they have got music and really beautifully shot video too. Storyblocks makes it possible for creators to keep up with the growing demands for modern video content so that you can bring all of your stories to life without being stopped by pesky things like time, high costs, and the equipment required to shoot original content. Storyblocks has affordable subscriptions, unlimited downloads, and inclusive content, which I want to talk about a little bit more, but we're going to do that later in the episode. You can learn more about Storyblocks at storyblocks.com. So today, I want to introduce you to an amazing woman. If any of you use beam paints, and I already know that a lot of you do, you will be thrilled to know I was able to get a Nung beam on the podcast. She is an artist, a mother, a paint maker, and she is from an Ojibwe family that is part of both Canada's Indigenous history and art history. I wish I was a filmmaker because, oh my goodness, her life would make a beautiful movie. Now, we did not have the best connection, so just ignore the little bit of echoes. Okay, here we go, calling Anun Beam on Manitoulin Island, Ontario. Hi Anun, welcome to Art for Your Ear. This is the first episode back.
1: Wow, hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh I'm so happy to have you I I feel like crazy because I just discovered your beautiful paints beam paints I just discovered them I felt like I was like a discoverer finding this amazing like gem and I wrote about them and then every single person that follows me was like yeah where have you been (laughs) okay everybody already had them people were chiming and saying these are my favorites and I was like Well, how did I not know? So anyway, I have some now and I love them so, so much. But I want to hear, like, aside from the beautiful paints, we'll get to that. But your story is so amazing. And I want to start, like I always do, right back at the beginning and talk about um, your life as a little kid with two artist parents. So where did you grow up and... What were you doing when you were little, making stuff?
1: Yeah, I was I was making so much stuff because um, I was homeschooled. So my mom and dad at that time, I think when I was born, I was born in Toronto, but they were just there briefly. They lived in New Mexico and Arizona. They lived in Guatemala briefly. Wow. Arizona. Yeah, they really like were going all over. And I was, Born right into that uh, this kind of mad love story because they had just met and then they were married a month later and then I was there like nine months later, (laughs) you know, all all in in a in a rush and um, yeah, so they they brought me along with them because they were both practicing artists and it's such an interesting thing to think about because I never saw them have a regular job anywhere right yeah they didn't even have like a side hustle well they they did off and on my mom my mom made uh costumes once in a while wow. because she had a BFA in sculpture so sometimes she made mascot heads for uh, trent university or <laughs> wow. was, yeah but other than that they just lived from their art practice which is really brutal yeah <laughs> Yeah, and um we were really poor. Uh, but in those ways that like you you recollect more when you're older, you look back and you're like, oh yeah, we were we were really poor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you don't really realize it when you're a kid.
1: No, not really. You're kind of aware of every that you're having a different life than other people, but we were so on the move and I really spent so much of my childhood out, outdoors.
0: In, did you guys, were you, after you were born in Toronto, <clears throat> did you go to Manitoulin Island right after that, or were you? did you travel yeah. with them a lot?
1: No, um, my dad, his family, he was born on Manitoulin. Actually, right where we're speaking here, this is where my house and the studios are here, and my dad was born in a log cabin just next to here. Wow. And this is our family's land from uh, the Manitoulin Treaty. And we're signatories of the Robinson Huron Treaty for this region. Wow. We so, have been a long time in this one little nook here.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. That's so yeah. special for you to, because I know we're going to get to it. Like you've, you've been all sorts of places too, but to be back there on that land doing what you're doing now must feel so grounding and so good.
1: It really, yeah, it, it is for sure. And, uh, well, my dad, he must've felt that too, right? Because we went back to visit every summer and no matter where we were living. And then when I was about 12, that's when he, him and my mom, they built our house here and then we moved back full time.
0: Okay. Okay. I was wondering about that. I was sort of doing a little research on you and I was trying to figure out how, when you ended up there. And, um, and so back then, well, I mean, Your dad, Carl Beam, is a pretty famous Canadian artist.
1: Yeah, uh, he was, when I went to art school, he was in the curriculum
0: already. (laughs) And did people know that you were his daughter?
1: Yeah, people knew, especially like, it was a very small group of Indigenous artists at OCAD or Indigenous students back then, but they knew. And I remember once somebody was like, oh must be nice, and Carl Beams, your dad, you know, they tried to kind of lay this guilt trip on me, but I just, I had that minute to accept how it was, I was thinking, like, yeah, it is, it's really, it's really nice, it's great that he's my dad.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I was doing a bit of research on him, too, and it's so funny, because um, so his birthday is very close to my birthday. And then I was looking, and he went to the University of Victoria. Yeah, he did. And so did I. And he went there the year I was born, 1973 was when he started, and that was the year that I was born. Yes, I was like, that's just (laughs) weird. Um, But he was the first Indigenous artist to have his work in the National Gallery in Ottawa, right?
1: Yeah, as contemporary art. Yes. the big thing. Everything that had been uh, accessioned or purchased up until that point, was ethnographic. So there was no considerance of it as an expression of contemporary art. It was an expression of culture, not individual creativity. Wow. So he was the first one to crack through that, that ceiling. And then uh, a lot of others, you know, it's a really,
0: we have a thriving Indigenous contemporary art scene in Canada now. Yeah, yeah. But back well, then. And so were you, how old were you? Um... How old were you when that happened? Uh, I was six when the bridges happened.
1: So okay. I have all these neat memories of all of the, the meetings and the traveling and when he spoke a lot at uh, artist conferences and these oh. like historic events. And I would be like under the table. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. That's so amazing. Mm-hmm. And so for you, were you... Was it just a given for you that you would be an artist? Like, did you ever think of doing anything else?
1: Yeah, I I definitely did. I had other interests in uh, textiles. Actually, what I'm doing now is so fully, like, it makes sense to young kid me to be here. Yeah. But I, I did, I remember thinking about it, like, when I was little, I don't even really remember when it happened, but I remember this conversation we had where he was saying, it was like in high school, and he was saying, well, you know, just think about whatever you choose. Think about when you're going to have to wake up. And I know you're not too fond of this nine to three school thing, so if you get a regular job, it's more of the same, you know. And then he said, like, take me. I don't have to get up and do it. I do anyway
0: probably yeah. a
1: lot earlier than that
0: but you know that was and, and so what did that make you think like what were you what did you think that you would want like if you could dream of anything that you wanted to do did you know at that like in high school what you thought you might want to do I always kind of had these like
1: making I just really liked making probably uh where And this kind of goes into my dad he's kind of known as an as an artist painting artist for painting like 2d visual works and stuff but he was a real maker like Mm. around our house there's a in the canadian museum of photography they have a, a bathroom a cupboard he made and we have similar cupboards in our bathroom. He made these cupboards, but then he did photo emulsion technique onto the doors. Oh and wow. Painted them with milk paint. And they were like these really bizarre high art cupboards,
0: you know. And, <laughs> and meanwhile, it's just your bathroom cupboard.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, but he did so much of that. Like he built bread ovens and it was always like making and learning and making and doing things. And then really kind of used visual art as like, "Oh well, this is the job part, and here's the doing this, and now I'm just following my interests and right, stuff. and your mom yeah, too, so, was probably
0: like that, right?
1: Yeah, she was. she was right there with him. I think the difference though is that they they were both uh in their they they almost had these two streams of their personal interests, like wow, look, here we are, now we're making tea sets, okay and this is my art for exhibition and both of their art for like exhibition was really political Mm. Uh, my mom was a feminist artist and she exhibited with the gorilla girls back in the early 80s art space in peterborough yeah i think that one was almost that show was almost lost in the sands of time but I remember being there as like this little kid too, watching the Grilla Girls, seeing my mom and we were having an opening and it was almost like Halloween, you know? We get <laughs> to be out late at night and everybody this is uh, exciting, these costumes.
0: <laughs> oh my God, what uh you are like a time capsule of this crazy yeah. hard time, this kid under the table experiencing all of this amazing like history being made. Um, yeah, and your mom, um, and so if she was doing costumes every now and then. She must have been quite a sewer. She was, and she sewed some of her own
1: clothes and some of some of mine too. She sewed
0: blankets and things. And,
1: she and so got, did you do that too?
0: Because you said, yeah, you were saying that textiles interested you. So were you playing around yeah. with that too? Yeah, I was. I was making dresses for people,
1: and I, I think for a while I thought, oh, this could be. This could be it. I saw um, a store called Peach peach berserk in Toronto oh right yes yeah, yeah I remember yeah I walked into that in like 93 or 94 as like a little kid, like preteen kid and I saw them printing their yeah. fabrics and then I saw the dresses they made and the sewing machines and I was like this just looks like heaven I would wow <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know you could do the whole thing like make your own textiles yeah
0: yeah oh my gosh that's amazing um and so I also picture you and tell me if I'm wrong or not but I kind of picture you in your backyard making paint out of mud when you were a kid yeah I kind of was
1: I had this um I had a really I think I have synesthesia or something yes yeah where I'm on like a the far corner of a, a spectrum that makes you experience things a little differently. So I'm a little slower on the uptake with people when something's really obvious. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> I don't, but um, when, when I see or experience like color and I feel it really heavily. And I remember my mom, she's, I'm probably like three. I'm really little, like you know, the learning all the words, little. Yeah. And I'm standing in the driveway at our place, and I asked her uh, what the color of the the light coming through the trees was. So she's standing there and she's holding my hand, and she says, "Oh, that's chartreuse." And I remember just hearing the word, like, "Oh, <laughs> that's chartreuse." So it was almost like this, like church moment. Still, yeah, just like, yeah. Phew she to me wow and uh, I stood there until she left I'm still standing in the driveway and after she left I kind of went over to the bottom of the tree and I found the, the little baby saplings yeah I remember eating it because I wanted to know like how does all of this taste this is just this amazing color
0: <laughs> wow that
1: is amazing yeah. oh my We're,
0: gosh well, you're clearly doing the right thing in life then.
1: Yeah, definitely. I finally got here. <laughs> yeah.
0: It always takes a while, but it is so funny, you know, when when you're little, you know, I know you have two boys that are kind of close to Charlie's age too. And I remember being pregnant and saying to my husband, we have to pay attention to what this kid likes. When he's little, like when he's one, two, three. Because when he's 16, 17, and applying to university and doesn't know what to do, chances are whatever he loved to the core of his being when he was two or three is probably what he should do. Mm -hmm. You know, you out there Mm -hmm. eating saplings trying to taste chartreuse. (laughs) It's exactly that.
1: Yeah, I had so many moments like that. Like I had fences, I would move over. And I would go into the neighbor. They had a great big peony bed. Yeah. And I would move this fence over and crawl on the underneath and just lay on the ground under there looking up at this like peonies (sighs) all backlit. And it was such a thing for me. I used to bring a little portable tape recorder and listen to music and lay there and look at this. Like, I would love to do that again yeah it's you hard. should
0: sneak over hey there <laughs> oh my gosh this could all <clears throat> we both need water mm-hmm. this could all be a beautiful film <laughs> all of these things you know that your story and then all of these beautiful I've gotten chills twice first the chartreuse and then the, the peonies oh, the peonies are yeah. my favorite I would I could lie in a bunch of peonies forever too and the Absolutely. smell
1: yeah, the, the size—they're so unreasonably like they can't even support themselves, and they yeah. don't
0: care. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you've got these two amazing parents. You're under tables at all these crazy historical moments. Um, when you started to aim towards actually going to art school, did you mm. ever feel kind of like intimidated by the fact of? Who your parents were? Like, did you feel like, you know, sometimes yeah. you hear like kids being, because you're an only child, right? Yeah. Yeah. My son's an only child. And I remember when he was really little, he'd get so frustrated that he couldn't write his name properly because I could write my name properly. And he could, he was only comparing himself to me. Right. So when mm-hmm. you've got two parents who are doing all this amazing stuff, did you ever have that insecurity or were you just like doing your own thing?
1: Well, I, I started, I wanted to go further. I think i knew what it would be like if i went to school in in toronto Mm -hmm. that well my dad had uh, he had shows there during that period you know okay this show is up it's in the paper people are seeing it and all the schools are right there so i did start out in the states and i i think that was kind of a you know it was a conscious well you guys have never been to boston so I'm going to
0: Boston. <laughs> That's amazing. And what did they think of that? Were they... Oh, they loved it. They totally loved Boston. And we,
1: I had a scholarship to go, but we definitely couldn't afford it. I really just did one year there and kind of broke the bank and went home. <laughs> <laughs> How but was it? Was it was like,
0: awesome. what did it feel like be, being there?
1: I, I think because, uh, well... I had an anthropologist who was uh, kind of adopted into our family um, as a grandmother figure in my life. And she wrote a book about Daphne O'Jink, Roz Vanderberg, yeah. and she was, uh, she was from Boston. And I remember her saying to my mom, and my mom told me later, she said, Anang may not have certainty of place, but she certainly has certainty of person. <laughs> And I think that was it. I would just been all these places before. I didn't feel too, I was like, oh, hello, Boston. Right. You
0: know?
1: Looking yeah, back yeah. on it, like if I imagined my son going to Boston at 18,
0: right out of MSS, I would be like,
1: oh my God, watch out for all the sharp objects.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everything can kill you. Everything yeah, can no. kill you. well that's kind of that's why I asked how your parents felt like but I guess they were such travelers and stuff too that they were like okay cool like they raised you to be like that.
1: yeah and they did every every year they would travel down to from Manitoulin to uh, Florida or New Mexico or Arizona and they would do these big cross-country trips like all the time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they just kind of like boston it's not that bad and a friend of my dad's kind of teased him so she's moving to boston hey eh? that's pretty far she doesn't want to be around you guys and then uh he said his son was going to school in alberta it's actually further
0: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's an excellent point yeah. I know we're in we're in western Canada I keep worrying that my son's gonna go to Dalhousie in Nova Scotia or something like the the furthest point he can possibly get um and so what did you do what was what did you do that first year was it a foundation year
1: yeah but they they let me have uh, it was pretty interesting because I didn't have anything to compare it to I was expecting maybe a more. it was a lot of like real hands-on interesting stuff. So I did a lot of different things. I was in ceramics, but I already had a pretty good base on ceramics. So I could just kind of hung around there. And then I did enameling, which I thought was really, really interesting. And uh glass wow. figure, figure drawing, like it was a real, oh, all the stuff that I didn't know from my parents, you know,
0: so that was so cool anatomy
1: anatomy was fantastic and I love that learning it I I, it was so helpful for life to understand what's actually going on in here yeah yeah I found that a lot of times I've referenced back to oh
0: well could be this (laughs) yeah it could be this tendon that's attached to this bone yeah that's so cool so so you did a year there and then did you go straight from there to um OCAD
1: yeah, I did. I transferred back. I went to OCAD and I lived way out in uh, Etobicoke at the Islington uh, end
0: on the oh subway. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Did you get to school? And oh.
1: Subway in. And subway back and subway in. There's so much subwaying. <laughs> Actually, something that doesn't really get on my CV very often was I came straight back and went to York. Oh. And yeah, because York... I don't know. They, I couldn't get into OCAD, for oh. some reason. Yeah, but York would let me in, and uh, so they let me in. But their art program, I did photography, and I kind of lived in their dark room. But it just wasn't a fit. Yeah. And a, likewise, very long commute to get from Islington, Bloor to York.
0: Yeah. So that was that another year
1: no because i just i i left and i kind of dropped out and nobody noticed and it didn't, <laughs> didn't derail me but uh it was like i remember the day going to the office and like i would like to not not coming back you know <laughs> and the, the lady just like oh <laughs> yeah
0: but it, oh it was
1: God. a lot better at OCAD for me in those those times. But
0: uh, Yeah, when, when when was this? In the ninety-nine? Yeah, i was 90, gonna say 90, late
1: nineties. Yeah. 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 And there was so much going on, but you know, I had a young I had young a young relationship and so I I was with somebody who eventually I had children with uh, but he's not in my life now. That's kind of this other tangent or shaping force in my life was a really good person who was great with me for 10 years, uh, 10 early years, and then developed uh, alcohol and substance abuse problems.
0: Mm. So that was a, a major fork in the road. Yeah. Did you, is that when you, had you already come back? to Manitoulin before all that happened?
1: Yeah, actually yeah. I came. So after I was in, uh, at Oakhead, then I went down, I kind of got wanderlust, you know, like I'd done two years. and well,
0: That's in your uh, DNA, that seems pretty fair.
1: Yeah, I just kind of like, oh, I, I also, I don't know, I, w- I was exhibiting already. I I was showing, I I showed in a gallery that was also showing a teacher and yeah so that was really awkward because she she flunked me like I effed her
0: the best
1: yeah and uh the class was painting from memory and desire which is like it ended up being so close to like really you know what I'd like to think I do painting wise but yeah so it was (laughs) fun too yeah, but that there's is. probably oh I, it was probably lack of participation. She's completely valued like I you know I, I was so there not there like I wasn't at the, the front of the class. Yeah, I, just, I, I was under the table. I'm just absorbing information and moving on. You know.
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I yeah I love I kind of love thinking of you like that. Um and so what were you doing as you came out of OCAD? Was it mainly painting or were you still doing ceramics?
1: No, I I was really doing doing painting. I was it was funny because I was in the contact photo, you know the contact thing that happens. Oh yes, Toronto? yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I was in that, but my piece wasn't photographic.
0: Oh,
1: yeah, isn't that funny? I think that uh, the person who wrote about it, she mentioned about my cause my dad was in contact too, and he was heavily photo based in his work. And I think she just saw the two of us showing at the same time, and she was just like, "Okay, look at, look at these guys." I don't even know why my piece was in in. At that, <laughs> time, but that that was kind of what was going on in Toronto, and my it was, uh, yeah, it just started to get. It was, I was really missing outdoors. Actually, yeah, it was really missing nature. I was having a hard
0: time, Torontoing. Etobicoke. Yeah. I, I was yeah. in Toronto at that exact same time. Oh, really? Yeah, really? I moved there in 97. Okay. And I was there until 2004, I think. Yep, so, yeah, and yeah, I actually totally even lucky. did a few evening courses at OCAD. I did a jewelry class and a book design class. Oh. And um, Oh, I wanted to. Yeah, I, did. yeah I, I was terrible at both of them because they both required um, attention to detail. <laughs> and I did not work like that. So, um, but it was really fun because I lived down there and OCAD is such a cool building and, you know, there's so much going on around there. And so I just really liked being in that sort of feeling. But I was working in advertising at the time, so I just was missing. I was on, I was A, not outside it was Toronto, Uh, Mm -hmm. be on a computer all the time, because I was a graphic designer. And I was missing touching stuff, like making things with my hands. And I was really missing outdoors. So my now husband, but boyfriend time, we used to go drive down to Picton and go to Sandbanks for the weekend, because I just needed, you know, I grew up on a lake, I just needed to be in water that wasn't Mm -hmm toxic and uh yeah so I totally hear you so yeah so then the next place so did you travel or did you go because I read that you went to the Institute of American Indian Arts
1: I did and that was just extraordinary it was really I went I transferred from OCAD to there oh where is it it's uh, right in Santa Fe, just okay. outside of Santa Fe. It's right out in the great big open expanse of desert. It's really spectacular. And I had this amazing experience there to, um, you know, anywhere else I went, when I went to Boston, I actually like looked on my enrollment charts where you have to put down your, your background, like your, your, your race. And I put down a on there, and they actually called me in to speak, like to explain that to a classroom of people. It was so surreal, but but, because they didn't know what
0: it was, or or they
1: just didn't. I hadn't ever had one before,
0: you know. (laughs) We've got one.
1: Yeah, like hey, look, there's one here. Let's get in and explain it, and then we can know more about it. And I was like, I well, I don't know about all of them but
0: <laughs> yeah here's my experience yeah,
1: i'm i'm here yeah, yeah really so then i walk into institute of american indian arts and everybody in the building all of the employees all of the teachers all of the admin the dean everybody they're all indigenous from somewhere in north america or maybe wow. even other south america as well it was amazing and it really like wow i felt so at home there felt just absolutely fantastic and wow. there was just so i i highly recommend anybody who does have a indigenous background if they're looking for something unique in the arts to go to that school because it, there was just so much it was completely different like yeah you, i didn't have kids back then but i noticed that the dorm rooms were set up to accommodate families because so many, so many people did have kids wow, so it was so a lot cool. more, yeah
0: and so yeah, did you learn about each other's like the different kinds of art forms or were you there to kind of focus on yeah. your thing or both
1: no it is they they were degree granting programs they had a creative writing program per degree in that they had a sculpture and probably painting and and photography or maybe what were you focusing on there? I I really focused heavily on photography because they had this amazing darkroom and um, my dad had done the darkroom process uh, and I, I was in his darkroom all the time as a kid so to be in like a proper darkroom, I did that actually, I did photography at York and OCAD as well and uh, I had a job to be the darkroom assistant so I'd be in the dark room all week working on stuff and then on the weekends I was the person who went in and unlocked it and mixed up chemicals so that people could do work over the weekend you must have come out into the sunlight and just been blinded yeah absolutely (laughs) Uh, but I just loved it I did so much I did so much work there I I shot a lot of different kinds of film and Really, really enjoyed it. How, how long were you there? Uh, just one year. And then um, I had got to the end. At that point, it was four years of art school. So I told myself, well, looks like you're done. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I never did the foundation courses and I never did all of the boring ones that you had to do to get a degree. Yeah. So at the end of it, they told me, well, you'll have to do all these these boring ones. And I just couldn't imagine spending another year coming back to do 2D fundamentals. Yeah, no kidding.
0: Two. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, and then I, I oh never goodness. imagined teaching or anything. Like, I didn't see that I would need a degree.
0: Yeah, you just, and, you collected the skills you wanted to collect.
1: Yeah, and then I said, okay, now I'm off. And I, I moved to Vancouver no Victoria briefly for about six months and then I kind of homing pigeon right back home and my missed me because I had been his studio assistant really so he he asked me to be his studio assistant uh and I was looking for a place to live and I was maybe gonna live north of Toronto like Flesherton or something and then uh he went to Ottawa with my mom, and they watched that movie, the Big, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah. Yeah, and you know at the end the, how the, the father gives the daughter the deed to the house next door? Yeah. And they, yeah, and my mom says she looks over, and my dad's crying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, so then he comes back, and he found uh, an old uh, one-room schoolhouse It was uh, 27,000 and he bought it for me. Wow! Oh my gosh. This is really, yeah, it was extraordinarily generous and amazing. Much that you could get a house for that, but nobody, the real estate agent said at the time, oh, well, nobody wants to live in these kinds of, you know, different kind of
0: buildings. Oh my gosh. Like a classic
1: house house. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, now it would go for like a million bucks.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely went up in value. Oh my gosh, (laughs) and And so
0: how old were you when you went back then? In your 20s, uh, I guess?
1: Yeah, yep, I think I was 23, 22.
0: yeah. Yeah, and so you started, so you're working as your dad's assistant, but then were you also doing your own work at the same time?
1: Yeah, I was, but you know... Um, it was right around that time I was working with him and in his dark room and helping him with painting and stuff. Just, just hanging around, having a good time. <laughs> and, but then he got sick and he passed away in 2005. Yeah. And that was uh, just a huge... Well, I was 25 at the time, so it was really intense. It, it would be for anybody, but then this had this added layer of the fact that he was a a, a well known artist, and then all of a sudden there was a national gallery retrospective Ugh. that had to be organized, and my mom, she was she was so built to be with him. They were such a such a couple
0: yeah, that she really
1: yeah. she really was never the same after that. Actually.
0: Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it was rough, and
1: then that's right around the time when my partner starts drinking, and so everything got was it. It was really stressful, and <sighs> then that's kind of when some somewhere in between in that in that zone uh, was just a, a lot of organizing and cleaning and dealing with institutions and learning a lot about estate, estate representation, copy, all that stuff, which is That's so really so much great to deal with when you're just cart- want
0: to deal with grief. Yeah. And so yeah, did that absolutely. fall on it you really to organize? On-
1: yeah, yeah, it did. And it was also really like, so many, so many other people had a, a huge reaction of grief. Like, the actually, my dad was the first artist that ever had a, a memorial after his passing in the rotunda of the National Gallery. Wow. Yeah, and it it was it happened because all of those artists, all of the indigenous artists, and the institution, and they were they were so connected because of the things that they had done together. They really kind of demanded it happened. And then it wasn't the only one. I think Carlton had a memorial and a memorial exhibition and Canadian clay and glass, the ceramic uh, museum, they had one as well. And they asked us to all go to those to speak about him. So it was
0: really, it was pretty intense. That's so hard because you never get to just. No, no. Exhale. Like you never get to deal with it because, oh my gosh, that's so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a lot. And I think those years, 2000, well, so then, then to kind of, I, I'm really, some years go by and things are settling in and uh, I really, I found in between the birth of my sons, after my, after my first son was born, and when I was pregnant with my second son, that's when I really found my painting voice. Mm. It kind of like came back to me in a, in a moment of stress, I would say. But before that, before the the kids were born, I I went on a big grand tour. I kind of got out of Dodge, as it were, and. <laughs> At the time, it was a lot like when I went away to Boston, I, I went to Iceland and I stayed there. Yeah, it was really far and I, I, we had uh, met somebody who was a musician there and we went and we stayed with him and lived in Iceland for like two months and it was like a really great decompression, you know, yeah. and it was such an incredible country. And a completely different view on the world and family, and it was was really great.
0: Yeah, that's that's like how I'm so glad that you did that for yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. But then after that, I was like, well, I'm really ready to to have a baby, and I want to I want to have, you know, I'm ready to do that. And in hindsight, I don't think my partner was. Because things never really went well after after that. Mm. But we did have uh, two beautiful sons, And Mm. then we moved. I I thought about raising them in Iceland, actually. I was there before the economic collapse, before the volcano. And I had a bank account at one of those banks that disappeared. (gasps) So it kind of dodged a bullet there, really. And uh, oh, my gosh. Then we came back home, and I had my my son Riel. He was born on my dad's birthday of all. Of
0: all oh things. my gosh!
1: Yeah, it was it was amazing. And then I decided, well, my dad, you know, he had done so many things. He had one of the things he had done was start a pirate radio station. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and this was like years, years ago, and it was uh, dedicated in it to just play in Ojibwe language. Uh, wow! Yeah, and and I remember coming back, and I had this little baby. I was pregnant, and I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick up dad's radio station. I'm gonna dust it off, and I'll just make it run, you know. And I just walked into that like it was. It was going to be easy, and it wasn't. But I, I didn't have anything else to do, so I was really doggedly stuck with it. And maybe, I forget how many years, three years or some years. Yeah, probably three years later, we got his radio station licensed by the CRTC, and it's still broadcast today. It's a 88.9 FM team. Gimma Radio and it streams online at gimmaradio.com, and all it does is play stories and songs and everything in Ojibwe language.
0: Wow! So, oh my uh, gosh! Kind
1: of, yeah, a big side worry into radio, radio uh, engineering.
0: <laughs> Did your mom help <laughs> with that, <laughs> or was she like, "This is your yeah, um, this is your project"? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, actually, after my dad passed away, you know, she really, I almost had the sensation that I met another person. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, she, She had a lot of people, you know, as a female artist, really, so many people had told her, I think they were trying to ease the grief of his passing. And they were like, now it's your turn. And now it's time for you. Now, you know, so many people... Really stressed that about it all, all being about Anne and all about her, but she really kind of like almost took that too far. Mm. And, and I really kind of lost connection with her compared to when my father was alive, even though we saw each other every day. We talked multiple times a day, we're very still very close, but it was. It was obvious to me now that that was the beginnings of uh, alzheimer's and dementia and so that yeah that just kind of increased and it's almost it's better now to look back i can understand why she did some of the things she did that to me seemed really cold but it was really just the beginning of uh, alzheimer's and kind of a disassociation i suppose wow that's
0: yeah and you would never know in the moment in the moment it wouldn't make sense of course
1: yeah but it's she she really hit it quite well and you know she's she's in long long long-term care now we still talk every day she's doing really good
0: oh good i was wondering i was sort of researching your mom too because i knew that your dad had passed and then um i saw that your mom had a gallery on um in nanatulin and then that's now being headquarters right?
1: Mhm.
0: Yep. Which is pretty cool.
1: It is pretty cool, but it's also really, it was uh, part of this really awkward, like, you know, after my relationship really fell apart with uh, the boy's father, Yeah. and I had to, it became dangerous, and I had to leave, oh so my gosh. I left there. Uh, We had a little business that kind of got run into the ground after I left. The business was in my name. The house was in my name. The debt was all in my name. Yeah, and so I just just left and then I couldn't. My mom, she didn't have room for us to move in with her. But I just went and put my kids on her couch and we just landed on her couch. and it was awkward because she she really didn't want to be doing family and doing you know other people's crises she wanted Mm. to be focused on on her but we still made the best of it and we all had a great time
0: Mm. (laughs) how old were the boys were they quite little
1: yeah they were i'm trying to think about it now they were like five
0: yeah yeah Yeah, to them it was probably a great adventure in a way yeah it was it was
1: and they really preferred to always stay over there anyway so (laughs) we really it it was actually great when I think back on it there was people like people around me who knew me at the time were kind of like I (laughs) they were almost grave like oh my god uh, are you okay is everything okay and I was like Oh, I'm fine. I'm so fabulous. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I had kind of segued into into making that, that leap in my personal life by uh, going out to a, an art residency.
0: Oh. Yeah. And, Where uh, was that? In Croatia. What? Oh, my gosh. I've heard Croatia's amazing. Yeah,
1: it was really amazing. And... It was actually just the thing at just the right time. And it really reminded me of, you know, I saw artists there, there were artists that I really still admire and respect and follow to this day that were really, that I met. And I got to see their practices really up close. Mm-hmm. Like we were all living in uh, on this island and we all had a little kind yeah. of uh, small house to ourselves it was in the off season a resort there
0: how, how long um, were you there
1: just to see the other, oh just two weeks but it mm. was really amazing it was an amazing two weeks and it was when I was there that I decided that I was changing changing everything and I actually started kind of I broke up with my partner long from the belgian Belgian airport <laughs> over text, I was like, "Well, it's over and uh, you know that didn't go over well, but I had this long I had this long airport journey by myself, you know, and it was so it was really great i felt, I felt so reconnected to what I loved about uh painting and art and I felt. Really excited, like unreasonably, unreasonably excited about and good. So I got home and I started working in my dad's studio. I picked up my kids and we're living on my mom's couch. And I have no idea what I'm doing, but we're all really happy to be healthy and together, making Mm. pancakes, painting, doing (laughs) stuff. You know, it was really great. And then out of the blue, I get this phone call. uh, Do you want a job at the Ojibwe Cultural Foundation? And it was a a lifesaver, really. Yeah, it gave me their community not for profit museum gallery, you know, arts, cultural arts center. And I had a little job working in the back for a minimum wage, just transferring tape data from this to that, you know, just busy works. Yeah. And and I loved it. Every day I'd go to work over there, see people and be social and like then pick up my kids and come back and it was, it was really neat. And it's in that time that I had the idea to start being paints.
0: Yep. I'm jumping in right at this moment to create a little podcast suspense. How did she come up with the idea for Bean Paints? I'll tell you in a minute. So I know I have talked about this before, and I'm going to say it again. I have made a promise to myself that I would only have sponsors that make sense for this amazing Art for Your Ear community. And so that's why I said a great big yes and thank you to Storyblocks. I spent a lot of years as a graphic designer working with stock photography and I would have loved to have access to really, really great video, but alas, I did not. So I already like Storyblocks because of that, but when I read about one of their latest initiatives, I was in. They have started a program called Restock. It's a response to the demand for more diverse and inclusive content. If you've ever worked with stock photography, you will know that it is very, very white. Anyway, Storyblocks is making sure that their contributor roster includes new, diverse artists that create content portraying people and communities that are underrepresented in stock media in an authentic light. That part is so key, the authentic light part. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for paying attention to the world, Storyblocks, and thanks for sponsoring Art for Your Ear. You can learn more about Storyblocks at storyblocks.com or follow them on Instagram at storyblocksco. All one word. All right, let's jump back in midstream and find out how, where, and why the idea for bean paints came to a nun. So what what was it that made you think about it? Um, did the seed get planted in Croatia? Like, were you thinking about it then or was it... Yeah,
1: home. you know, there was the organizer of the residency was a printmaker who had worked with my dad, Gordon Novak, and he was really inspiring to me because he was a a printmaker who had worked with so many great artists. He worked with Malcolm Morley and uh, just a real amazing bunch of people. Tony Sherman. Mm. uh, yeah, but he mixed all of his own inks. And there was something really stuck with me in that. I think, thinking like, this ink is amazing. And it's water soluble. It's not like it doesn't smell terrible, like these other inks. And that kind of got me thinking about, you know, making making paint and making that it was something that could be done. And- Had you ever done it before? Like, had your dad ever done it? Yeah, well, but I hadn't really connected that early early experiences. I hadn't really come back to me. And it was when I started really looking into, okay, well, how do we do this then? What do I have to do Uh, kind of working backwards? And then I, I bought some different supplies that I thought you needed. And then I realized when I had it with me, I thought, this is ridiculous. I know where to get this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm know i not going to buy this from, you know, Montreal that imported it from wherever. Like, I can just go down the road and get this. And uh, I had this great moment driving out to a quarry, just like one, one of the quarries I went to with my dad. I went out there with the boys and they brought their little rock hammers and we were just playing around in this quarry and I got all this material for making paint and and I made paint and right then I I had this it was almost like an electric feeling like driving down the road with like a hum in your ears thinking I I know what I'm doing I know how to make paint
0: it's so oh, that gave oh. me chills. I know those electric moments. And you know, I feel like I don't know what you think of all this stuff, but uh, like my dad passed in 2018 very mm-hmm. suddenly and unexpectedly. And um I feel him all the time, especially when there's like big transitions or big moments. I, I can feel him. And I I mean the fact that your son was born on his birthday and then this call came out of nowhere to go and work at this space and Do you ever feel like he's got a hand, like he's pulling a few strings? Oh, absolutely.
1: And I'm like asking him,
0: like, please pull a few strings for me. (laughs) Me (laughs) too. I'm like, Dad, if I had to lose you, the least you can do is like work a little harder up there, (laughs) make this happen for me.
1: (laughs) Especially when I'm a bit in the weeds. I'm like,
0: now is a good time. Yes. (laughs) Insane. Yes. <laughs> um, and that that's kind of amazing. Like, I bet that electric feeling was a little bit of, you know, of him being like, yes, you struck gold. Go get it, girl. Yeah, I think so. And I, I really, I really
1: love it for that reason that I get to, I get to be, I get to re-encounter him in that way.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. and
0: it's it's so connecting to your childhood and this land where it has so much history for you know um your family and and ojibwe people and to be making the paint like with your boy like little hammers and like making the paint from that land is insane yeah it
1: it was it was so full circle that i was really like oh my god i i can't believe If I, if I had known, if I could have shortened out some of the middle bits, you know, that would have been
0: great. Nah, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked the same way. You got to do all those long middle bits.
1: Yep. That's, that's what I figured too. It's just, it
0: all worked out. And And so how did, how did you first, so you start making the paint, how did you first like sell it to somebody? Oh,
1: this is really interesting because my, the, there's, this is spanning years, right? So. Uh, in in these interspaces I'm living on my mom's couch and uh, I meet my my new partner my new boyfriend and he happens to live across the street (laughs) well that's (laughs) handy (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it was it was so funny because uh, it was right at that point you know when you tell yourself uh, I told myself Well, that's it i'm not looking for anybody this is the this is the nobody time i'm just gonna do this and you know i was i was actually gonna make a studio in a shipping container and i had even bought the shipping container but then um, i ended up meeting my boyfriend and we've been together for quite a few years now and one of the first things that he did was see that I needed a spot to work. And he said, well, here, let me clear out this garage. And he had a a tiny garage bay, like not tiny, just standard for cars, you know, that's. Yeah. So he had a garage bay in his, uh, his other garage. He's, he's in forestry. So there, there's me and my boys and we're, across the street from my mom and checking in on her all the time. And we're going back and forth from these two amazing places. Uh, this one amazing spot of heavy industry and uh, really strong work ethic. And it's so, it was so inspiring to me. I just loved, loved what he was doing, uh, Dennis. And then he gives me a space to do, you know, how many people would do that? Yeah. oh you want to make paint like the my life had a lot of people before who i told them you know my mom included i i i want to make paint i think i need some room i need like a closet and i just couldn't find i couldn't find anywhere to do that and then uh, this wonderful partnership happened and it was so it was so inspiring really and yeah. His influence is in really heavily all throughout bean paints from, uh, we use uh, recycled offcuts from his sawmill and lumber yard to package the paints in. Oh, I was wondering
0: yeah. where all of those came from. Now it's all making sense. Yeah, well, um, I
1: was making paint in a garage surrounded by all these amazing little pieces of wood. And yeah. so I started taking a little wagon around Collecting pieces of wood. Wow, look at this! And meanwhile, all of his workers were like looking at me and looking at him, and, like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and uh, but they they all caught on to it once they kind of realized it wasn't as nutty as it looked. And they they all actually all of those workers at his uh, his lumberyard all help out with bean paints wow that's amazing yeah yeah because it is so we are so connected in that way that both of our businesses are about uh like he he's a sustainable lumber operation like when you Killarney Forest needs to be maintained so for a lot of years he was the person who ran the his crew went into Put up turtle fences and bridges, and take yeah. out and make the forest healthy. Yeah, wow, so that's amazing. we've been connected on that, and I think what our first date was when I. That's kind of when we must have known it was gonna. It was gonna work, as I said. I'm going to a quarry on Saturday. Would you like to come with me? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to drive me to a quarry? yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's then, how you know that's how you know <laughs>
1: yeah we had this drive out to a quarry and looked at all the animals we saw in the way and
0: really enjoyed being out in, in nature like that so wow and then yeah. you must have like from the quarry there must have been so many experiments to figure out how to make all the colors that you now make
1: yeah absolutely and that was uh that was really so much fun, you know, like, I really expanded into uh, looking at how to make paint from from where I was coming from, from my kind of tactile approach of that, well, it was kind of like this, I'm looking out at this entire industry of, of art supplies and realizing that my dad made paint in a traditional indigenous way for his ceramics and for, for paint that he used for various painting applications. But it was so separate it from, you know, art, contemporary art paint. Good Contemporary art paint comes in a big plastic jug, you know. Right. And it's It's such a different thing. So it was really neat to go into watercolor and then I tried to do watercolor the traditional way, like to put it in tubes and half pans and the little Mm. plastic thing. And I bought them. I put the paint in them. I just I couldn't do it. It didn't. uh, Everything about it just felt wrong. Yeah. The the sound of it it was so clunky. I didn't like that. I had to go and buy it when when I was so in the the birth of the paint it felt really strange to put it in like something from amazon
0: (laughs) yes yeah yeah i love what they're in now and i well the one i just bought some and they were still in the um beeswax wraps but um, Mm -hmm. i just watched a video on your instagram about how um you're not using the beeswax anymore you've gone to a, a kind of a paper right
1: yeah, I'm I'm trying that out. I'm not it was funny because it took me so long to do that video because I didn't want to like seem like I was throwing shade on beeswax use. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Absolutely not. That's uh, it's a fabulous thing. But I did just see that it was harder for me and the people that I got it from. Like I also
0: started keeping bees in all of this. Yes. Yeah. And do you, I, for the wax or just because bees are fascinating? Both, really, like yeah. I, was,
1: I was having to buy wax and I had always wanted to, like the past, the past five years have been like a, oh, I've always wanted to, here we go. And <laughs> well, I did always want to be a beekeeper and I did that and I, I understood, I understand now so much more about like this, the scarcity of the wax as opposed to the honey. Right, which is really strange like you would think that the 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 price of the wax should be 10 times the price of the honey
0: but it's not so weird I didn't realize that until I watched that video and I didn't know you don't even think about that
1: no I never thought of it either and then this this past year I I lost my beehives And I was, I was so sad. And I'm talking to all the other beekeepers here on the island and we all had heavy, heavy losses. From what, Uh, the heat or from? As far as we can figure, because all of the bees had died, but the honey was still in the hive, that uh, they were confused by the warm weather in the middle of the winter. And they they came out of hibernation, but it was the wrong time. And then something went wrong
0: like that yeah that is so sad our, our neighbors have beehives and um we had a warmer than usual winter too and I saw a few of them flying around and I was like go back guys mm-hmm. it's not time and then during the summer here we had that crazy heat dome thing and it was like 48 oh, degrees yeah. every day and I yep. kept thinking what happens to bees do they just cook in there or do they how do they survive that yeah they well,
1: they do it that's bees now there's a podcast
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know actually, I actually have a friend who's an artist who um lived in New York and he and his partner purposely moved out to like upstate New York and have started like they've got this full like bee honey wax business going because he just needed the the calm of it and he yeah, I mean, yeah that it's, ended up being most of our episode
1: yeah it's really extraordinary I feel like I went in that into beekeeping for some personal growth on a couple levels there. Yeah. And, uh, and it really delivered. Like well, I that's st- what
0: he said too. He said that sometimes he'd go to, you know, work on the hives. And he said, if he went in stressed, yeah, the bees would sense that he'd end up getting stung, whatever. So he said he'd have to kind of like calm himself down, uh, let absolutely. everything go, you know, and go in in almost a meditative state. And then it would all go swimmingly. And he was like, wow, there's a life lesson.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I was almost thinking that like entrepreneurship or like, you know, when you think about women in. in well, for me, I've always been a pretty low-key person, you know? Like, I was never at the front of the line for, oh, give me the biggest slice of cake, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I've always kind of been, well, let's see how this goes, and if there's some cake left over, I'll, I'll try it out, like that. So it's this experience to go into the beehive and go in there. They've made all this honey. They do not want to give it to you, right? Right. you know? but. I know that they'll be fine if I take it. And they don't know that. And that, that has to be enough for me to go in there, even though they're not happy about it, and say, you know what, I know you're going to be fine, and I'm taking out this honey, and I'm going to enjoy it with everybody. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> wow, that's so cool. It sounds really like you've just hit this moment where you're like, okay, I'm done. Being, you know, I know what I want. I'm going to go get it all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Isn't that, there's something about hitting your 40s where you're like, all right, oh. enough of that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and it's funny, you know, with people, uh, when that whole like, oh, wouldn't you rather be younger thing comes up? I'm like, not, uh, not even a week. Yeah. You
0: know, not know. <laughs> I know. I feel exactly the same, exactly the same way. Um, okay, I have one more bean question and then I have got a super heavy question. But the bean question, okay, so I said at the beginning, that I was like, oh, I've discovered this tiny little paint. And then it turns out you're an empire and everyone uses your paints. <laughs> and then I was like, what? They're for sale at Indigo. And for Americans listening, Indigo is kind of like Barnes and Noble. And like it's in the gifts. you know, it's in their section. Their, I love all their beautiful little gifty section. It's there. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, where the heck was I? How do you go from a quarry on a first date to now it's for sale at Indigo?
1: yeah that's really wild and you know i i have to say growing up here on uh, being being exactly where i was when i i loved being out exploring trees and bark and whatnot uh, the internet like thank you internet yeah this amazing transformative thing and really uh, a huge part of this was that uh in the beginning, I made all kinds of paint that nobody liked, you know, and I made paint that didn't work well. And I had a couple people who were really honest with me. Jacqueline Gortzman of Gortzman's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And who just told me like, well, it's not really, nope, it's not really, it's not really, really good paint yet. I don't even think they said yet. they just like, it's not good. and I I remember being like oh you know you feel that initial oh crap it's not good but then I was like okay well I'm just gonna I just kept going until I got it I really wanted it to be the I want to to find ways to pack in as much color as possible into that tiny little shape yeah yeah and it, it has taken so many this ways and that ways and I've been really fortunate, I think, to be a, a really uh, outward-facing company where, mm-hmm. when we do things, when I do things, I use, I talk to people about it on Instagram, and I can kind of see right from there. You know, if something people aren't no, no, they're not interested in that, and maybe that's not such a good idea. And you have this amazing feedback from all yeah. of these people. Yeah. Yeah, you it's don't have been, to make
0: it and then try and get it out there and then wait for a year to see what happens. It's like it's so immediate. Yeah.
1: yeah. And because it was so immediate, I almost had I was able to grow really fast because I got so much feedback and then I would instantly really take it to heart. Like if I if I had rejected
0: it, like no, I know what I'm doing. I think right. that wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked you know yeah but I, I, I needed well, that. Yeah, two things like one you have to be open to that feedback and two you have yeah. to not quit like when she yeah. said that this isn't good you could have gone okay I need to go get find another plan it's like you yeah. didn't quit you were like okay cool let me roll up my sleeves and try and figure out a better way to do it which is amazing yeah
1: Absolutely. And, you know, people are always telling me, oh, you have so many neat ideas. And I was like, I have way more terrible ideas. <laughs> I, like, I've had so many. I have like Guinness Book of World Records for these awful, clunky, won't work ideas. But I just keep on going and I'm really the first to admit when something doesn't work or won't work or isn't working.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think that's the other thing that comes with age, right? Like Mm -hmm. being able to take that feedback and not be crushed by it or, you know, really knowing what you want and knowing that it's worth it to keep, to keep refining and to keep going where when you're younger and a little bit lost and not sure what's next, you know, you do sometimes let those things go or...
1: Oh, get sure. bogged down
0: by your Guinness book of world record of terrible ideas and don't yep. see the yep. genius in the good ones like there's something really amazing about that.
1: Yeah, and you know like this it's also interesting like my I remember watching my dad and he was a a, a really prolific and a heavy pruner of his own uh, output. Hmm. So, you know, there he was always going through things and getting rid of all of the stuff that wasn't up to snuff. Hmm. And my mom was totally the opposite. And I, I noticed the effect on both of their outputs and their careers over decades was that my mom kept the pieces that weren't quite right or weren't successes because she felt like she was going to fix them or I don't know, but she kept them all. And then over time, Just seeing all the things that didn't work around her, I think, uh, I think was really depressing. Whereas my dad was constantly erasing all of his mistakes and then figuring it out and then making a mistake, erasing it. And so he saw reflected around him all of his successes. Mm. And uh, that was, you know, that's really important for me to acknowledge like it's okay some, something was a great big flop okay put it in a box and move on or yeah you know, turn it into something else and move on
0: but that's, that's what I've been trying to do is turn it into something else
1: yeah that's fun I love yeah. that actually so many of my favorite things have come out of just off-cut mistake like remnants
0: yep yeah, Because there's so much power in that, right? Like instead of letting yeah. the flop be, decide your fate, yeah. you, know, you get to go, oh yeah, watch this. I'm going to chop you up and turn you into this fabulous thing that I, I couldn't have gotten to if I hadn't made you in the first place. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's some real power in that. I know I've been really trying to do that in my studio lately because I, I am working towards a big show in March and I thought I had it all right. And I was, I had all this stuff just sitting there, like waiting to finish all these pieces. And I was like, just something in my gut was like, these are not right, but, but I've decided that they're done. So I guess they're done, but they still don't feel right. And I'm like, well, hold on. I'm the boss here. Yeah, that's right. If they're not done, done. they're not done. And I, I, I took everything apart and made some changes and reassembled them in a different way. And I love the work now. And it's like, oh, that was very satisfying yeah
1: you know actually a big part of uh in my own painting practice a big a big part of that is actually rotating canvases oh. just like uh, when i start painting i do it the, the first layer and, and a lot of times by the time i get to the end of the painting it's probably rotated a quarter turn a full turn a half turn oh just i for love like, that yeah just for the the change in the 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 way because your brain will build an architecture a physical space in the in the visual field right yeah and we we're kind of like these subconscious creatures of habit and my dad used to paint with his left hand occasionally or with oh. his right hand he would do this stroke like you know your hand naturally strokes your right hand goes up oh, okay goes bottom left to right like and then he, he would say, look at this. I'm going to do this this way. And you can see it have a, an effect on the, the way the painting looks. So I, 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 I think of different things like that. Like,
0: what an uh, experience a, for you to have to grow up in that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was amazing because I'm a, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And I think we it's all so are, yeah. important to <laughs> me to remind myself, hey, this is a painting. It's, I'm not, it's not a photograph, it's not a paint by numbers. It. it's allowed to breathe and be a painting and be unexpected and to have paint moving on it.
0: That's beautiful. And so true, we forget that, you know? Like I hear so many people say like, oh, I just want it to be perfect. And it's like, well, yeah, A, yeah. what does that mean? And B, it's impossible.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is like for me, i I find that to be the the most joyous kind of sacred moment in a painting is like that something will happen that you have your your best intentions and you're going forward with this idea, and then if you let a mistake kind of happen, sometimes you meet something else in there, yeah, and it wasn't what you it wasn't what you thought or was trying or there's it comes from somewhere else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I love that.
0: Me too. There's magic. There's, there's magic in that as long as you're open to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay. Before we go, I have, we talked about this a little bit before when we were emailing back and forth, but I really <clears throat> want to ask you this. This is a huge topic in Canada at the moment. It should have been a huge topic for years and years, but it's been scuttled under the rug and nobody wanted to talk about it. And it was never in textbooks or anything, but um, Mm -hmm. there's been all of this stuff in the news that even I'm sure worldwide people have heard of about um, the residential schools um, in Canada, where basically indigenous children were taken from their homes because they were going to be, they were going to learn the new ways. They were going to be assimilated into this brand new Canadian culture and stripped of all of their, Actual culture. And now, I mean, that was already horrifying enough. And people knew that there was abuse, like, you know, you'd hear these stories, but again, nobody really talked about it. And now, recently, um, there's been bodies of children basically, unmarked graves um, were all these. I mean, it's horrifying. The numbers, every time they, you know, they've been excavating all these different schools, and every single time there's like hundreds and hundreds more. And it's just, it's mm-hmm. the horrible stain on Canadian history that Canadians really, like it's, now is the time to kind of look at it and be like, this is horrific and we have to acknowledge it properly. And so I know that your dad was actually sent to one of these residential schools.
1: Yeah, he, he was, he went to uh, Spanish uh, Garnier school for boys and um, it was, he had a really miserable time there. There's some people who went and had a had an okay time or did all right, but he actually was uh, really uh, abused quite a lot, uh, sexually abused by a priest. Oh and God. he had a miserable time there. And he went there, he eventually, eventually dropped out in grade 10, but he went there until grade 10 And um, a lot of, when he first went there, he only spoke Ojibwe. He didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. And when he came out, he didn't, he wasn't that good with Ojibwe anymore. And he spoke English and Latin and French. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny. Like, I think, I remember he took me to the, the, they had a Spanish, a school reunion for the school. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was in 1988. And we went to the went to the school and the all of the priests and everyone who organized it they were really surprised that everyone wasn't there were people who were moody you know there were people who were they they couldn't it wasn't like overt and no one would talk about it
0: right
1: when when I was a kid I remember my dad talking about it really loudly and everyone being like Oh, Carl, Carl, <laughs> you know, wow. you can't, you can't, you can't say that, but he did. He, he used to say, you know, I'm going to sue the Catholic church and sue the Jesuits for for that. And he was definitely ahead of his time with uh, discussing it. And it was a real cornerstone of his artistic practice. That's earlier I mentioned how it was really political. Yeah. It was, a, it was heavily about that. And um, in 1986, he had work in an exhibition. Actually, maybe it was earlier than that, in mean, 85. He had work in an exhibition that uh, toured to the Mirvart in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And I remember he took us to uh, Anne Frank's house. And I... He, he had a he did a press conference in front of Anne Frank's statue and he told the the reporters there that the this a similar thing had occurred in North America and that it still hadn't been addressed and that it was at that time it was still ongoing because that was eighty eight and the last one closed in ninety six. Yeah. Yeah, so he was talking about it then. And he did so many paintings. One one of them was purchased into the National Gallery of Canada's collection. And I wish they would bring it out. Maybe it is, I haven't been there in a while, but it was called the uh, Sauvage. And it has, uh, that was the French word for native people, like wild. <laughs> and it has a picture on the top of uh, the the, cru- the cross in the graveyard at the school he went to. And, and then underneath it is a photograph of Hiroshima after the bomb. Yeah. And then underneath that, there's a rifle that's been whitewashed, that's tied inside a plexiglass box. So it's really, like, so intense.
0: Yeah, good for him. Like, I,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. I mean, the stories, the stories that you hear, like, it would shape so many people. And I'm so... As yeah. an artist, I'm so happy that he used his art to talk about that. But did yeah, people think, really not want to know what his art was about? Like, how did how oh did people no. handle
1: that? Oh my god, no, it was
0: not not popular. And uh, yeah, because it was probably like Shh, Carl, don't talk about that.
1: Yeah, and then also like it was really nobody understood what he was talking about because it hadn't been discussed in the media. It was not
0: a known known you know right yeah it was supposed to be like these these children were going to be we're going to be taught how to be lovely little you know english canadians and um, priests and nuns were guiding the way and then you find out the horrors yeah and 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 can you imagine now as a mom like how old was your dad when he went originally i think he was about eight when he went seven or eight yeah so can you imagine people going hi we're gonna take your boys and um charlie um and everybody pack up and you're going off Uh, to this place
1: goodbye and when you get there you can't speak english yeah you're gonna have to speak you know this other language and yeah Yeah, i heard
0: that there was like insane punishments if you did speak your own language or and because all these kids were coming from different you know languages and stuff and Um, I read an article about a couple of kids, I forget what their background was, but that they met and they they could actually speak their Indigenous language to each other. And they were both beaten so severely because they weren't speaking in English.
1: Yeah, there was an awful lot of that. And that was why the radio station became so important to him to try that. And that's why it became so important to me, because there really isn't anywhere in media where you could just hear the language the same way that like French and English right I I learned French myself from uh, just from back in the satellite days I got the French package so my television was always in French Mm. and I learned how to speak from that and that if you wanted to do that for Ojibwe there wasn't anything any way to encounter the language that aside going to find a a fluent person and camp out in their living room. Yeah. Oh my
0: gosh. And you know, and like the big thing that, that, you know, you hear people now trying to defend the situation going, well, you know, we didn't do that. That was done. You know, like, I think the first residential school, what was it like in the late 1800s was the first one that opened? Yeah, I think so. Like 1870 something or 80 something. And, but then it lasted till 1996 and people now say, well, you know, but we wouldn't do that now. And we didn't, you know, as, yeah. as white people, like, oh, well, we can't be held accountable for something that we would never do. And it's like, okay, yeah, no, you didn't do it. But like, there's so much fallout from that. Like, you know, like, yeah. indigenous populations having like, alcoholism issues or whatever. It's like, well, no shit. Like, how, I mean, your whole culture, your, your family structure is disrupted. Your children are taken. Like, Of course there's going to be fallout from that.
1: Yeah, I I think, well, my dad specifically, I remember he couldn't go into, well, you know, we we traveled a lot. We could never stay on like a third floor or a fourth floor. We couldn't ever go up, stay anywhere that needed an elevator because he couldn't go into like enclosed spaces. So everywhere had to be stairs accessible. And this is like without exception. So sometimes it would be like, okay, here we are in, you know, uh, whatever gallery and the curator would go in an elevator and he would have to get somebody, he couldn't go in it. He had to get someone to show him where the stairs were. So we were always going up fire escapes and (laughs) all these other ways because he, he couldn't go into malls were really
0: off too. You couldn't do like large institutional buildings. Wow yeah like that's what has to happen now you know there has to be you know and I I knew you had this history in your family and um I know that like I said this is such a heavy topic and Mm. but I really wanted to bring it up because we have to talk about it.
1: Yep I'm really glad that you did because I think um there wasn't an, uh, an apology. My dad missed it. It was after he after he passed away, The I think Harper apologized for the residential schools. And it was really strange. I don't even know how it happened. It happened so out of the blue. Nobody was really expecting it. All of a sudden, the prime minister is apologizing. He's sorry. Everybody's sorry. OK, thanks. Goodbye. And nobody really understood what he apologized for in right. the regular mainstream public you know they didn't know what happened and then survivors were completely like oh they were they were unaffected and they were like really not impressed and then all the children of survivors that I know were destroyed <laughs> they they took it like
0: so, it was just hell- so flippant almost
1: no I think just the fact that it had finally been addressed oh I see yeah Mm-hmm. but then that that was it it was just left and nobody really understood what it meant you know
0: yeah has the catholic church the catholic church still hasn't apologized
1: no i don't think so
0: like that's no. uh, the whole thing is just mind-boggling and it just you know like right now in the world i i keep saying i, I keep posting these like tranquil videos on instagram with people painting because i'm like oh my brain cannot handle oh, all oh. of the horror that's happening in the world right now and but you know
1: it's so much of like there's so much positive change going on like I I was thinking about that the other day like how much society has changed just in the past couple of years is amazing like I never realized I must have been kind of a pessimistic person but I never expected firstly I never expected the second wave of Canadian sentiment to come about about the residential schools that kind of blew, blew me over yeah <laughs> you know I was really surprised and you know in a good way mm-hmm. and then uh, also with the Me Too movement and Black Lives
0: Matter and, it's true it's true know, we're in a moment I, I feel like it's like with Black Lives well with all with those three things you just said like I think it finally feels like okay there might be change as opposed to yeah like that apology where it felt like a blip or yeah yeah you know, there'd be little things in the past that would feel like little blips and it's like it feels like more of a shift is, is there, happening yeah a sea change yes
1: yeah i, I think so too because sometimes i i explain it's funny i because I I was a single mom with the boys when they were so young, I they got really we've just been we talk so frankly all the time. Yeah, and it's funny because they know all about like bills and finances and like you know how how life works. Yeah. Because I was explaining to them what I was doing all the way. Like, okay, now we gotta go pay the hydro bill. All right, get in the Okay, no this is how you read a price sticker in the grocery store and that's how much it is per unit. So don't look at the price, look at per unit and you know, all this kind of bland stuff. But sometimes I explain to them like, Oh, well it used to be like this, you know, like you used to have bullying. People used to just, Oh, boys will be boys. And someone would just throw a punch. Like the times we live in are so, so much changed from you know the 80s I it's true say. yeah
0: yeah yep. thank goodness and mm-hmm. hopefully things will just continue to you know people will feel like they they can speak and you know hopefully you know like oh, that's been a really <laughs> blessing of this podcast is being able to I mean I get nervous I get nervous I I'm I I don't like conflict I've, I'm always like oh everything's fine huh? let's not oh god and I've been really trying hard to you know ask some hard questions of my of myself and then bring on guests that can actually answer them and maybe they're going to be uncomfortable because I feel white privilege guilt or whatever it is but it's like but nothing's going to get fixed if we all just keep sweeping things under the rug that have been under the rug for a hundred years
1: like let's definitely fix it yeah I agree and um I forget what you said there, but it just reminded me of like how we kind of come back to like how how things are now in the times that we're living in that goes to how I could be here. In my own community attached to the world, but get to like that's the Internet and what we're yeah. doing here that all of this is really is such an equalizing force. Like, before, if I wanted to have a business like this, I would have had to move away from my my support system that's here. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel comfortable, where my family is, and where I my community is. But to move away from that and try to build something far away, like, I think you just wouldn't get a lot of people who would do that. And I I, I didn't. And mm-hmm. being able to use all of the tools that exist now to run a business from i'm literally in my great-grandfather's potato fields right now <laughs> but you know i talk with people all the time from uh, all over japan and the u.s and i get to work with other artists and and work with indigo
0: and, uh, yeah. and they,
1: they found us here you know on the internet
0: Yep. It's amazing, isn't it? I know I've moved back to my tiny little town where I grew up and Mm -hmm. um, I always thought that I needed to be, and I was, I lived in Toronto for whatever, however many years, nine years. And I lived in Vancouver for 10 years because I I worked in advertising and I was like, well, I have to work somewhere. I have to live in a big city. Yeah. But I was such a small town kid. Like every every city I lived in, I would find like a tiny little tree lined street and then like never leave that neighborhood (laughs) if if possible, you know? And I was yeah. like, okay, I think I need to go home. And, um, you know, because of the internet, I can. Yeah. And, it's uh, pretty neat. And we get to have this conversation with you on the other side of Canada and, you know, me here and both doing the things we want to do.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely extraordinary. I think we're really living in really incredible times.
0: hmm well, you know what? I'm gonna I've kept you for so long, but this was literally the perfect episode to have as the first episode back after my summer break. And I'm so happy that I know you a little bit more now than just um DMing and clicking on all your paints and <laughs> drooling all <laughs> over all the colors. I bought, by the way, Wild Rose, mainly because mm. I really love I love mm-hmm. pink, but I also love that name. Robin's Egg Blue and um one of the new golds <gasps> okay I love oh them oh my god painting with those <laughs> when you add the water it just looks like fairy magic it's just like ooh, look at all the like uh, that one might be my favorite
1: yeah that one that one was like a personal best for me to get that, that much gold in there
0: <laughs> I know that's what I was like I was thinking well I'll give it a whirl but like how can it but people listening so goldy so awesome um yeah. And we're going to do a giveaway of some kind because, you know, you kick off a new season, you might as well give it away. So um, I'm going to pick something from you. We'll talk about this after. You can message me what you mm-hmm. think the best little set is. Um, right. And then when, um, and by then the, the episode will be out and um, I'll do a little giveaway. And, and uh, maybe I'll even throw in one of my kids' books with it. And it'll be a really lovely way to kick off this new season with a little bit That's of... Awesome. Canadian women kicking ass and making stuff and giving it away.
1: <laughs> it's been so great to meet you. I've just been the, the biggest fan for the longest time. So.
0: I, I, you me that? You I was like, see. that's crazy. That makes me so happy. And I, yeah, I'm so happy that we're connected and everyone got to hear this story. And as usual, I will have um, a great big post over on my site with links and images and all sorts of things for people to go check out so that they can actually see what we were talking about. And uh, until then, um, yeah, I will, I will see you on Instagram and so will everybody else. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye. <sighs> Isn't she lovely? Also lovely, giving away a little palette of her gorgeous paint and a copy of my kid's book, How to Spot an Artist. Okay. So how should we do this? Um, okay. How about this? You will probably be popping over to my site, thejalscurator.com, to check out everything Anang and I talked about. So, if you'd like to enter the giveaway, just leave a comment there. Easy. We chose a gorgeous little set of paints that Anang calls the Mixing Six because it's a bunch of colors that work together really nicely without things getting too muddy too quickly. (laughs) Oh, watercolors, you're tricky. I'm gonna draw one name from those comments on Saturday, September 18th, and I will post the winner in Saturday's issue of my No Such Thing as Too Much Art Society newsletter. If you haven't subscribed to this daily dose of art delivered directly to your inbox and you want to, just visit thejealouscurator.substack.com or there's a direct link in my Instagram profile. Um, Saturdays are always free, but if you want the content from Monday through Saturday, um, you can sign up month by month, and it's $5 for the whole month. That's a lot of art for $5. Or, even better, if you sign up for the whole year, it drops to $3 a month. So $36 for the whole year. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of this new season. I've decided to put out new episodes every two weeks instead of every one week because Well, you guys, I need more time to make my art and write more kids' books. Yep, I'm pitching a new one. So, yes, I will be back with a brand new episode of Art for Your Ear in two weeks. See you then.